0: Once I got into the water for the first time, um, it was maybe for the first time in months that my mind shut off and.
1: Welcome to a new episode of the Grassy Hopper podcast. Today I'm here with two Wim Hof method instructors, Kiki Bosch, who's a freediver, and Matthias Whitford, who is a neuroscience. And today we're going to dive in, good good metaphor, dive in, (laughs) we're going to dive into the topics related to the Wim Hof breeding method, how it's impacted both of their lives, and just Generally, the science behind the method and also some stories of transformation that they've both experienced and experiences they've had through now teaching and coaching others. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having us. It's awesome. <laughs> Welcome to, be here. to Malta. So, who wants to start?
2: I. I would like to start, of course, yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm a neuroscientist. I'm um, originally from Germany, still living there. Um, Since a couple of years, I'm self-employed, doing Wim Hof Method workshops and other methods. uh, And, yeah, I love doing workshops, teaching people and helping them to change their lives, definitely.
1: Are you ready to tell the little story of how you came to all of this? And maybe a little bit about kind of what interested you in the beginning? Because it's kind yeah. of still, you know, the Wim Hof Method is getting more popular. And mm-hmm. I think as we mentioned before, it's one of the few techniques that has quite a scientific backing. Exactly. Um, but for most people, it's still kind of a new thing that you can really change your life through breathing and mm-hmm. ice
2: baths. Yeah, right. And if you would have asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said, no, no, breathing is just what's... There, that what's more than just exchanging gases, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, I was working for, for many years, almost 20 years as a scientist in Germany. I started with EG and um, was investigating um, music psychology and the differences between music perception and language perception and then heading to... Um, more sophisticated methods like uh, neuroimaging techniques fmRI functional magnetic resonance imaging where you see brain activation so you definitely or you basically look into the brain and see what what uh, does the brain uh, regarding specific um, tasks and yeah I was um, investigating cognitive conflict emotional conflict so when you get a task how do you um, deal with interfering information, so when you're just getting distracted and I was working with a lot of patient groups like Tourette syndrome, Parkinson's disease. I was working with people uh, who have had an operation in their in their ears like cochlear implant patients and was looking at how they perceive music and language. And then this wasn't a little bit. This was a little bit boring for me because I just want, not just want to sit on uh, at the computer screen and analyze data. So I would like to have more practical methods. And I was looking for methods that had always interested me, interested me like hypnosis. I was learning hypnosis and specific coaching techniques as well. And then I came across the Hoff method. Do a podcast. The Tim Ferris show, where he was interviewed from by Tim Ferris, and I was very much immediately fascinated by this guy from from Holland because he had many Guinness World Records, um, and most of them were um, associated with um, with standing the cold. And yeah, I was. Um, Happy to start the method by myself and um, do the breathing technique, which is one pillar of the method, do cold water immersions and really experienced changes in my psyche, in my mind and experienced mental changes of what things I could do and what limits I could push regarding my emotional life. So this is the way I came to the the method I came became an instructor I had um a good um relationship to him himself because he was interested to support research which we are now still planning because we have to get funding research is very expensive and yeah we still are very keen to do more um, investigations regarding the, the method and I'm always happy to teach the method to people who would like to get an, uh, yeah, a hunch of what this is all about.
1: I think it's it's so important because one of the things that I've seen is that when people have very intense inner experiences it's very difficult for other people to have faith in the knowledge that they get from those experiences unless there's some kind of scientific yeah. background. Yeah. Um, which is a shame in a way but it's also good because it's kind of driving this movement to really understand the mechanisms behind some of these experiences.
2: Yeah. Right. So I have a little bit of mixed feelings regarding science because I'm in this field for so long. I do really do think that scientific research is needed, but it's not like you can just get any results and just hold this for truth for the truth. So it's always a kind of progress towards the truth maybe. And yeah, I think it's it's very interesting that so many um, leading universities worldwide are investigating the Wim Hof Method right now because there has been a couple of studies made in, in, uh, in the Netherlands in the last years and a very recent study made in Detroit that shed light on specific aspects on, on the method especially regarding the immune system. So, we, <laughs> we already know that the Wim Hof Method has um, profound effects on the immune system because there was a study on Wim Hof himself where he got injected with toxin, endotoxins that are, that are bacteria that are not harmful but they have effects on your body like if you got a flu, like headaches or a really strong, um, strong um, pain in your body. And he wasn't affected um, by these bacteria and they had some blood tests made all the way through this this time period and found very astonishing results. So they found that the um, hormone adrenaline is very leveled up um, because of the the breathing technique of the method. And we know that adrenaline has a huge effect on the hum, uh, immune system, so it gets kind of rebalanced, and it gets it gets a little bit suppressed as well. And the the, the hope is for for many people um, who are suffering from autoimmune diseases that this method might help them in the long term to get well, maybe get rid of the disease or get uh, a way of coping. With the disease a little bit better without maybe without so much um, medication
1: yeah I think I mean that's so fascinating and it's going to help about a lot of people to be a bit less skeptical about yeah. things like breathing um, but I think just to push a little bit more on this subject you know about science is also limitation because I remember reading in a book somewhere that Essentially, you know, science is very good at measuring our external world. But when it comes to understanding our internal world, it's a lot more problematic. You know, yeah. kind of an, an ECG machine can measure your brain waves, but it's not going to tell you how that person's feeling in that moment.
2: Right. So so far,
1: anyway. <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, there's, uh, there's a saying that you can only measure the measurable world, and that's not all there is. Yeah. And, of course, there's a... Um, new um, movement in science um, where people are more um, keen on, on measure the subjective experiences of people. So like questionnaires and really have more qualitative interviews in science, which I think is a very good idea. And um, yeah, so science is is always kind of problematic and there are specific levels and... I really do think that science is never um, not influenced by interests, yeah. <laughs> whether from, from industry or from specific people who like to um, get an, a better career or whatever. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Thank you. I think you have a very nice balanced view. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you get a lot of people who are kind of a bit almost fundamentalist towards science as well. And, it's, you know, it's, if something's not measured by science and it doesn't exist, yeah. it's kind of like stripping us of a whole... You know, our whole internal world. And I think when you kind of balance both and you have yes the science but then also our human experience from the inside, mm-hmm. it's just such a more balanced way for us to try and understand the world. Yeah,
2: I guess the, the um, need that stands behind this is security. So you want to have a specific solid point in your life that could be your subjective experience or science and both of them are not very solid so yeah. you could always question everything
1: yeah you need both yeah yeah amazing cool so shall we maybe hear a little bit from Kiki mm-hmm. because I think <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoy listening to this <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is super interesting yeah. and it's, it's something very relevant yeah. to all our, all our lives and just you know to say one more thing since you're gonna let us carry on <laughs> um, I think it's so interesting that You kind of have to have had a certain amount of inner experience to see the value of it. And Ken Wilbur, a very favorite author of mine, talks about how, you know, to see the inner world, you need a map and you also need a map maker. So, you you know, you as someone who has experienced the breathing from the Mm -hmm. inside and maybe experienced things that science still cannot explain, you kind of have the experience that qualifies you to help other people then interpret their own inter- internal work. Yeah. Whereas if you haven't done the experience yourself and Kiki came to you and said, oh, you know, I had this you know, experience, yeah. you'd, you'd be totally lost and you'd say, oh, that doesn't qualify to my worldview. I you know need to ignore that because it's very challenging. This
2: is an extremely good point and I totally agree. And there are some people, some scientists, who are investigating the Wim Method right now who are not doing the method because they want to stay uh, in an objective st- point of view, which I think it's a total illusion. <laughs> yeah. They're never objective. And I think I really um, am more capable of investigating the method if I know the aspects by myself.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's, it's in a sense vulnerable to kind of put yourself in that experience yeah. and kind of surrender to the unknown and kind of put yourself in a position where you can have an experience that your mind cannot explain and your scientific knowledge also cannot explain. Yeah. You have to have a kind of like bit of bravery to just say like, okay, let's go. So,
2: yes. Uh, that's
1: right. nice. And um, maybe you can also just say a little bit about Wim himself because he seems like a very interesting character. He's very charismatic. And I think when um, people hear him talk, he kind of... Um, has this charisma and this energy which infects you in a way to want to practice and go out of your comfort zone and, and have new experiences.
2: Yeah, I mean um, it's uh, kind of ambivalent I think because I really like Wim Hof, I, I consider him as a friend and I really am also moved by his life story and the, the, the method itself and when you see the pictures of of all the footage of the records, it's it's amazing, right? But I think um, you have to still consider that you have to find your own way. So he would deny that he's a guru. Mm-hmm. He would always um, encourage you to find your own way, to use the method in the way that best suits you. And this is... Completely, a thing that I would also support.
1: You know? Yeah, I think the most inspirational teachers always say that it's not about them, and they're kind of pointing you yeah. in the way that they mm-hmm. had their own experience to something bigger than themselves. Exactly. You know, if a teacher is ever saying, you know, look at me, then something's yeah <laughs> dodgy there. As,
2: as a first step, I think it's it's acceptable to yeah. to attract people with your personality, but the next step should be to let them find their own ways. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. You ready now, Kiki? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. Awesome. So yeah, just a little bit of your story as, as deep or as not you want to go. Um I think it's like I I first obviously got put in touch with you through Cat and yeah. I saw your Instagram feed and you know you have some really inspirational photos on there of you, you know, in glaciers, you know, sitting in a you know ice pool, in a very pretty dress. <laughs> I think, you know, you're, you're kind of a role model for, for women also to kind of push their comfort zone and go beyond their limits. Mm. So maybe you can just talk a little bit about what got you to that mindset and, and so out of your comfort
0: zone. Oh, thank you, first of all. Yeah, I, um, I think for me, the method had come to me in a very, like, Specific moment in time. It's kind of like the method, almost that I would say, found me at the perfect, perfect space and time. So I was really looking for something um, to develop myself. I was I was not feeling good about myself. I was I was very anxious, and in a in a more like depressed state of mind. And then all of a sudden, I saw this video of Wim Hof swimming in this beautiful glacier lagoon. And I think for me, water has always been something that I connect to so deeply. I've been been like a junior open water scuba diver. I've always loved the water. And seeing him do that, it just really awakened something within me. I was like, I was, first of all, very curious. I kind of, when I saw it, I kind of remembered, oh yeah, I saw that one time on the Dutch television. And I could kind of vaguely remember seeing something about him. And I list like I listened to the clip like a few times, and something that really struck me was he says you can do my method to become happy, healthy, and strong. And I didn't feel like I was any of that. I knew deep within me I was a bold person. I was like I'm a bold person. I can do this, and I trusted that I would be capable of of like doing breathing and and doing something, but. His that what I got from that method, even from the, almost the first day, was something that I never expected. I was just kind of wanted to do the method to prove to myself that I kinda was still capable of doing something because at that stage, I didn't feel worthy of living I didn't feel worthy of of anything, and I really wanted to show to myself that there was at least something I could do, even if it's going do some breathing or going into an ice bath for for a little bit but then once I got into the water for the first time um, it was maybe for the first time in months that my mind shut off and I wasn't thinking about my anxieties I wasn't thinking about my history or like my past I wasn't thinking about whatever happened to me um, and this moment was so out of this world for me. Because I was holding on to this these fears and these doubts so much that they yeah, they were really the majority of my life at that stage. And of course when you feel an experience like this, I think we, we just mentioned it it almost was like a forced meditation. I got sucked into this meditative state. And when I came out of it, I was like, wow, I need this more, like, I want more of this yeah. state of mind, I want more into this, like, they call it flow state, or whatever state of, I don't know, it was something I couldn't grasp in the normal world. And, I think, yeah, that that's first of all what really intrigued me in the method, the fact that I kind of switched my mind, even for this tiny, tiny moment in space and time. Um, so I started, like, doing it more and more, and trying to th- kind of see find myself within this method like like you just said and I realized that every time I went into the cold or deep breathing it provoked an emotion it provoked something within me that I hadn't dealt with in another way or maybe I dealt with but not in a subjective way too too attached to it so all these emotions came up and I dealt with them within this, this unique unique mind frame that yeah, Wim Hof so well put together. Um, so I think that's how I really got into the, into the method. And over time I think it, it made me realize that um, I could find compassion for myself in the ice bath or in, in whatever state that was. And I couldn't do that in my real life. I couldn't find compassion towards myself. I was filled with guilt. I was filled with like these, yeah, anxieties and these these things. Um. So I kind of learned that in the ice water, I could be nice to myself. I could be forgiving towards myself. And I think this is what still these days a lot of people do kind of struggle with. How do you forgive yourself for? The decisions you have made, for the mistakes that you that, that you still touch upon, um, and I, I learned that through this method, and while while kind of experiencing that over time, I also realised that my life was a nice part. I recently had gone through abuse, that had been very yeah challenging for me and and led me to this to this state of mind. And. This is a situation that your whole body reacts to as a stressor. Just like the ice bath is a little bit of a stressor, a stressor for the body, a good, good type of stress. My life was no good stress. It was just so bombarding me and so like filled my world and making me very tiny. And at some stage I could just make the translation. I was like, how can I be compassionate towards myself in this physical stressor, but not translate that to the emotional stressor of my life. And I think once I realized, okay, it's fine. My life is an ice bath right now, and I can deal with this. Then, it, of course, this is over months of time, <laughs> but I kind of slowly realized that and became more and more okay with what happened to me, the decisions I've made, or things I do did do, didn't do, whatever and yeah I think that's what really I got out of the method. I think, like we, we just spoke about it, it's like this, I realised that there was this switch in my head. I realised that there was things that I experienced or things that I thought about myself but these were not necessarily thoughts I had to give in to. These were not thoughts I had to entertain or to feed. And I could think them for a brief moment and then it's like, okay, that was a thought, but it's okay. It's, it doesn't influence my life. It doesn't rule me as a person. So, yeah, I think that's what I got out of the method as, as personal growth and personal experience. And through this, I think for so many people, this is very underestimated. Like every time I tell my story there... Is somebody in the crowd is like yes yeah I got abused too I had anxiety or I had depression or I had this dark place in my life, but this is not really something we talk a lot about and I find that the most interesting thing I think about the method it's it gives space for connection it gives space for opening up so yeah beautiful I really like that life your life is a nice bath. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful.
1: I read this amazing quote just a few days ago, which said, no human comes to this life and doesn't experience tears. It's like every one of us in our own way has some kind of struggle. Um, And I think what fascinates me is that, you know, sometimes it's just like, you can't even say how or why, but these experiences come into your life, whether it's through an ice bath or through, you know, to me it happened through ayahuasca in yeah. Peru. You know, Other people have it through drumming or music or, yeah. or the loss of a loved one. But it's like these experiences kind of suck us out of our everyday perception and we kind of get this bird's eye view on our yeah. ego yeah. and the thoughts that we're thinking and the things that we're feeling. And we realize, oh... Actually, I can change these things, yeah. and I can be creative to change my life. Uh, it's something that really fascinates me, because it's like not something that you can necessarily like force on yourself. You know, like sometimes someone might experience a breathing and not have that experience. But at the same time like we're living in a time where so many people are sharing their stories of what works for them and you can try so many different things and one of them is bound to give you an experience yeah. that makes you look at your life in a different way. So I think that's so beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah I think that's perfect. Like what you said is exactly how I try to approach people. I like this is what helped me. This is what helped others with me, but this doesn't need to be your thing. I mean, yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, I, I did this and ultra running or I did this and then I went to uh, CrossFit or weightlifting or I changed my life and this and that way. I think the essence of it is to yeah get that birth, birth perspective and really reconnect to yourself. And for me, I think nature is always a big compartment of reconnecting to yourself. So, yeah, I think it's, it's all very... Yeah, and it's like as soon as
1: you kind of get the transformation in one area of your life, it's kind of like a domino effect as well to them. Yeah. You know, the way you choose to eat, the way you choose to live, the way you choose to communicate. It's, it's like these um, kind of awareness and knowledge that you get just keeps on, you know, if you let it. <laughs> yeah. It can be a bit of a rough ride sometimes, you know, you get challenged. Um, I think, you know, what you said, that you don't need to give in to certain thoughts. As you were saying in the workshop on Saturday, you know, when you come to the ice, the, the ice bath, your mind is saying, like, oh, maybe not today, or <laughs> why should I do this? It's probably not really going to help. Or your mind comes up yeah. with all these ideas. And, and through that, you learned that you can also observe and, and not necessarily give in to those thoughts.
0: Yeah, that's that's, I think, of course, very, like very much the case and I think for everybody even for me like whenever I've been in the, like waters that are so cold um, I still have this little voice in my head oh maybe maybe not today or maybe this <laughs> maybe that maybe that, yada, yada. but yeah it's it's when you learn how to to switch that uh, I do think though that what I always also like to remember myself of is I'm still learning this like this is not something that I'm now I can switch my mindset on anything at any given time. I think this is a very much a learning process and I really try to translate it to my own life. But of course, there are certain moments when, yeah, you're simply just stressed out, life hits you um, and you kind of go back into these these more, uh, I would say, stressful situations. But I also see that when I started the method, I would maybe like fall back in my old thought patterns or hold on to onto something I was thinking about myself, and it could take me days or even weeks to get out of that. And now I might have that thought, but I realize it, and then it's like maybe a day, and then I'm like, no, this is not how I want to think, and I shift it, and I think I learned over time to kind of always pull myself back f- faster, and I think this is mo- maybe the most that beautiful thing that it's, over time, a very much a learning experience of how to keep yourself on track, but allow yourself to also, yeah, not be too hard, too <laughs> hard. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a really good
1: point because you see a lot of people when they get, when they start practicing these kind of things they realize that they are responsible for their state of mind. And it can also almost be a bit too much sometimes that then if you're not feeling good, you start beating yourself yes. up like, oh, I shouldn't be in this. Actually, I'm the creator of my reality. I <laughs> I, you know, I have all these techniques and I can't get out. Um, but I think, you know, sadness and, you know, some emotions that we kind of classify as bad have things to teach us, and things to tell us, and it's like the more you resist them, the more you get stuck in them. So sometimes you just have to say, like, okay, you know, today I'm like this, and that's fine. But it's obviously not something that we see that much of in social media. I know you've been experimenting a bit with kind of being very honest about your experience, and I think people really relate to that, because we're almost a bit sick of just seeing, you know, our role models just be great all the time and always airbrushed and always makeup <laughs> and always looking perfect, yeah. you know. There are people like Instagrammers nowadays who like wake up, put on their makeup, get back into bed, and like take the selfie yeah. from the bed so they're looking perfect. Yeah, and I think we kind of need a bit of an antidote to that. Um, you, know, you, you did a beautiful it's post I saw this morning about how smiling, <laughs> you know, you posted her, such true. a beautiful picture of yourself smiling. Yeah. And it's, it's true, you know, a lot of the images that we see are very crafted. Yeah. Um, and I think we all need to be reminded that it's okay. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, through the breathing, sometimes you do experience negative emotions. And in a way that the breathing kind of teaches you that that's okay. That's yeah. a part of the method as well. It's a part of your own
0: self. Yeah. Wow. So. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's very touching for me to hear that because, um yeah, I think indeed over time, I think you can never fix a trauma like, in one point in time. And I find myself sometimes relapsing into trauma. Like I, Start to figure out maybe things that my mind blocked out and all of a sudden I remembered that like, I was I was triggered by maybe a song that got played by a guy that looked like him or I got triggered into this relapse but it always felt like I wasn't allowed to experience this because well I like was openly about having dealt with it so it felt like there was this big pressure of me being happy all the time. And that indeed led to me kind of beating up myself on like, why am I not happy? Like, I, I know, like, just go into an ice bath and I like, should be fixed now. <laughs> um, and it's not always like that. You need different techniques to deal with different aspects of emotion, of sadness. And holding that space for sadness, it's so much that it can teach you. And also you can, you learn how to relate to people through their sadness. I think when you, of course, are always happy and always in this positive frame of mind, it's great for people, it's great uplifting and great, um, yeah, great if your life is great, it's awesome, <laughs> Not like, I would totally, totally do anything for you to, to keep that, but it's always, if you can relate to people's negative sides and to their darkness and their fears, this is always a piece of place of connection, um so I really started to appreciate my darker days or my days that I'm not feeling so well, and try to see what can I learn self from these days and what can I then yeah show to the world like you don't have to be always happy, and we're always looking for happiness. Yeah. I think. It reminds me a bit of in the yoga scriptures,
1: um, they talk a lot about surrender, like surrendering to the divine or higher power, whatever, universe, intelligence. Um, There's a beautiful teacher called Caroline Mace, and she talks about forgiveness and how it's such a mystical act. Like you can't really force yourself to forgive. It kind of happens in its own time. You can do things, obviously, to kind of prepare the soil for forgiveness, but at the end of the day, you just kind of have to surrender to to life and, and let it take its own course which I think is a more like a very feminine side of ourselves you know um feminine side within men as well uh, not just like only women can forgive but like our inner <laughs> yeah. feminine helps us to have that that kind of softness and and compassion um, and I think that's something which in our current society which is you know more action driven and more about productivity and doing as opposed to being it's something that we really need to make an effort to learn yeah. it's, it's not something that we're brought up being able to do necessarily yeah. so yeah I think you know going back to the breeding, it's something that these are like positive side effects that
0: <laughs>
1: you know maybe we can't
0: like quite pin down with science yet but they're very real for people's lives Yeah, I think as well, Like this is funny, because um, the um, ice bath and the breathing became a so-called biohack. And I'm very interested in this biohacking space and how to hack your brain, hack your whatever, do anything to improve yourself. But the more and more I got into these communities that are really focused on the self-improvement, the more I also realized, like, yeah, they were trying to hack everything. (laughs) Hack meditation, how to learn into, like, 30 days of... Thirty years of like everything needed to be a quick fix and quick this, quick that, and learning on a rapid pace, which is good, in a way. But on the other hand, it doesn't give you the, the space and the time to explore these feelings, like you said, these these things that come up in over time, forgiveness like that. You there is no quick fix for forgiveness. You can't hack forgiveness. Yeah. You know? and I think for, for me in this world this was more and more like biohacking doing doing things that it's good to get out of your comfort zone but it's also good to take a step back and reflect and see what you just did and how to reconnect to others and hold meaningful dialogue out of that In yeah, yeah more and way. sometimes
2: just be just yes. exist without the need for a quick fix
1: yeah yeah, it's funny how it's so natural to us as human beings, but at the same time we've kind of come so far away from it that we have to like learn how to be. Yeah. It's yeah. Quite a paradox.
2: Yeah, I think uh, one one um, thing that came into my mind when you mentioned uh, that people always or commonly this is an issue that they blame themselves. I think this is you can could have a scientific explanation or a view of this because it's like you're not um, getting into the reward system as much as you would like to do because self blame is like punishing yourself and this is not rewarding so it's not a step towards happiness it's a step towards always being in a negative spiral in yourself
1: yeah it's funny how um this kind of reward punishment dichotomy we very often get stuck in it yeah um, and actually when you meditate you really have to learn how to step out of that duality um, which is not always easy especially you know um, the, the catholic tradition is very um, kind of on point yeah. <laughs> with the yeah, right. you know, you're going not just the Catholic; faith but many religions.
2: But there's kind of, quite, they are quite quite specialists in this yes. field. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, they use that kind of reward and punishment to to keep um, you in in a certain direction. And I find it very fascinating. This might be a bit of a diversion, but many sort of mystics actually get kicked out of religion because they really step out of this reward and punishment thing, and they just be. You know, like in the Catholic faith, people like St. Teresa, St. John of the Cross, they were totally rejected because they were such rebels that they, they didn't want to go into this um, state of reward and punishment because that takes you out of your being because then you're already in the past and in the future. What am I going to do now to get the next reward, to avoid the next punishment? And I think what's so beautiful is that things like the Wim Hof Method and you know, there are others as well are kind of teaching us how to be modern-day mystics, in a sense. Um, and that's, I think, very beautiful and very needed at a time when a lot of people are not feeling so connected to the traditional forms of religion. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, before the priest was our mediator always between us and the yeah. divine. And now we're kind of living in a world where people say, hey, you know, I kind of want to go myself into that connection. But at the same time, they don't know how. I remember myself when I first started getting into meditation, I really wanted to believe in higher order to this universe. Like my mind couldn't comprehend how it was all random, you know, it just didn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I had never experienced anything that could allow me to believe it. I had never experienced anything extraordinary, anything that my mind couldn't comprehend. And I think that's why ayahuasca was a very powerful experience for me because suddenly in that moment, you know, you're witnessing reality through a very different um, view. (laughs) And in that moment, I was like, God, definitely exists, you know, call it what you want. But there was like an order to the universe. And that experience then led me to have the motivation and inspiration to keep practicing and keep kind of pushing the limit of what my inner experience could be. but it's almost like until you get that experience, it's yeah. very difficult to kind of commit to a practice.
2: Have you talked about your experience in this podcast before? Or is it like coming out right now? I don't,
1: I don't think so. i <laughs> blogged about it before. Okay. Um, so there's a blog on my website about my story. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure actually. Well, I haven't talked nice. about it in a big way. Okay. Um, but for me it's very connected with breathing. Because after taking ayahuasca... I carried on my practice was breathing Mm -hmm. different kind to the Wim Hof method but very similar Um, and that was a tool that allowed me to get to a very similar state obviously without the ayahuasca yeah
0: um,
1: which was very helpful for me because in the back of your mind you still have that question like is this experience real because it's something kind of outside of yourself which has generated it uh, and even though it is a very real experience, you know, having that same experience just through breathing Somehow psychologically is kind of more powerful. Okay, I
2: think. that's that's very interesting. Yeah, I think um, One of the key points I really like in the Wim Hof Method is that when people come to my workshops or to our workshops um, We um, instruct them regarding the breathing technique. We inform them uh, on the background of like scientific explanations but in general, this is something they do themselves. So it's a lot of uh, self-efficacy going on here. You know. Definitely, so. and
1: I think that's one of the powerful things about being in a group as well. Is you know that for me, breathing in a group has oh, always yeah. been more powerful <clears throat> than breathing alone.
2: There's a lot of group energy going on. You yeah. can imagine. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's telling you guys I did a breathing with you know 50 people at a yeah. time breathing together. And it's just so much more powerful than being alone. Um, It's kind of the same with yoga as well. You know, when you're practicing alone, your mind has much more chance to kind of (laughs) sabotage (laughs) your experience. Veto rights. Yes. It's like, oh, you should stop now. Like, oh, you need to go somewhere. Oh, it's enough. (laughs) Yeah. A lot
2: of resistance kicks more effectively in your, your process, I think. Yeah.
1: I think that was something also we were talking during the workshop, that resistance to the breathing. Yeah. It's like, you know, we have this drive to expand our experiences and connect. But then there's also this drive, which is like, no, stay safe. <laughs> like, you're good. You're fine. Yeah. And I think trying to balance those two is, is quite a challenge. Exactly. And why having mentors and coaches can really yeah. be so supportive.
2: It's very helpful to have an experienced coach or instructor by your side if you have these kind of open-up experiencing uh, experiences and an emotional releasing and, and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, especially if you're inexperienced, it can be a little mm-hmm. bit dangerous. You suddenly have yeah. an emotional meltdown. And you don't have.
2: Is this normal or am I totally crazy? Am I going to experience mental breakdown right now?
0: Yeah. Am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Am, I it
1: right? am I <laughs> I, yes. Yeah, so many questions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Awesome. So maybe we can talk a little bit to come back to kind of um, the research, you know, where, where we are right now with science. Because I mean, think three of us have all experienced, you know, from the inside what this is. Um, but for someone who's listening, it can be a bit far out, like, okay, well, I'm just going to breathe and then suddenly, you know, my news is going to be stronger, my state of yeah. mind going to change. Um, I don't know if maybe you can share, like, a couple of the most interesting things that science is um, working on.
2: Mm-hmm. So, in fact, it's very, very, yeah, crazy that science hasn't been investigating breathing a lot more. Um, If you look up for scientific studies about breathing, uh, like really brain research studies, you'll find only two or three studies in the last 10-15 years since this technique has developed. And the reason is that you are measuring um, differences of blood oxygenation with the MRI. And of course if you breathe heavily, this this is the, the marker you really influence. So it's it's not clear if you got results, whether they come from the breathing or is it the, the technique itself. So this is the reason and we try right now to uh, come up with clever ideas to get rid of the all these problems, but it's not that easy and yeah, I mean there are some research going on about breathing in itself, in, in the scanner, and um, I really do think that these results are not not quite valid. So there are some areas inside of the brain, of course, we know that are responsible to have a kind of generator of your breathing rhythm, but we don't have a clue of the higher-order cognitive, cognitive areas that are responsible for um, influencing the the breathing, so it, it's an autonomic um, process. But we are able to influence the breathing, of course. But we're not clear how this has been done already in, in the in the brain.
1: And that's you know they say quite often that one of the interesting things about breathing is that it um, is one of the only functions in the body that can be either subconscious or conscious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is very interesting.
2: Yeah. Some good. people say is it is possible to influence your heartbeat as well, but medicine would say it's not, but there's have some some evidence uh, published already. But yeah, breathing is very very interesting. And yeah. yeah we don't know how this is, works really. We we know from animal studies that is this the breathing generator is located on the brainstem, so in the very basic area of your brain. Mm-hmm. And this is a complex called pre-Bertzinger complex. And yeah, it's, but it's purely from animal studies. We know this is, you can find this complex in humans as well, but we haven't had any real scientific data from, from human studies.
1: I think in the next 10 years, it's going to be very interesting as these studies kind of ramp up um, to see the effects on the different, yeah. you know, we were talking about the immune system earlier um, and you know, the, the immune system kind of in the health industry is kind of like the, the main key. Yeah. Obviously, to like prevent illness and then also to deal with illness. So, I think there's like quite a lot of movement in that department to kind of understand how different things affect the immune system. So, yeah. every breathing will be one of them.
2: Um, and the breathing is kind of a positive stressor you give your, give yourself and it what effect that is... I find really very fascinating that if you take a look at the research regarding stress um, in humans as well in animals like 95% is just um, uh, done in, in males so it's only male studies we yeah. have okay. only male, uh, male animals it's oh. easier to, to investigate because if you've got females then you have to cope with all the new generations coming up <laughs> right so they use um, most of the time male animals and in, in humans as well. If you take a look close look at yeah. these studies, most of the participants are males. So That's
1: interesting. <laughs> yeah.
2: We don't really know how, how you girls cope with, <laughs> with stress at all.
1: Well, considering we have been with child I think
0: mm. we might be okay.
1: Quite <laughs> well. <this>. I think. <laughs> okay, cool. And is there maybe anything else sort of that that you think is kind of the most important kind of benefits or obviously the immune system is huge this
2: is a very interesting stuff but there's a recent study which has been um, done in the University of Detroit and where they um, investigate Wim Hof himself inside the MRI and a different method um, to take a look how he is coping with the cold so he got a, a cold suit on which is uh, infiltrated with little tubes of cold water or warm water so they changed that and they saw that in contrast to their expectations, Wim has not uh, used his frontal areas of the brain. So they they thought, thought it's very very similar to meditation, where you have a kind of top-down control over more autonomic centers of your body or in your brain. And it seems that Wim Hof has um, just switched on Automatic, autonomic centers or so brainstem centers on the brain to cope with the cold, but not influencing this very consciously.
1: So I think that is really fascinating. Yeah. When you said it in the workshop, I was really fascinated by this. Because, yeah, sort of intuitively you think that he's just, you know, got this very good control over his nervous system and he can really, you know… Yeah. But to, to think that it's actually something… Autonomic is quite fascinating. I yeah, guess.
2: it's more like to give in to your, your body and to the situation than to yeah. just influence it all, yeah. all the time, every yeah. minute or it's every like a second.
1: kind yeah, of... Yeah, um,
2: exactly. So he's activating parts of the brainstem, the uh, specific area which is associ- associated with um, pain control. And he's deactivating parts of the brain that are in the insula that is connected to feeling your internal states of the body.
1: I wonder if, you know, it's kind of like the meditation and that aspect and the training kind of gets you to that point yeah. where then your yeah. body has learnt it. Exactly. It's like you're not going to go straight to that point. You need to kind of do the practices that... Right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the next step would be for these researchers to investigate a group of participants who are new to the Wim, Hofard, Wim Hof Method, which are, who are trained them for, for a couple of weeks and then to see what what brain changes they can detect.
1: Yeah, I think that's also interesting to kind of get away from the idea you guys mentioned a few times that like some people just think oh, that Wim Hof is special or that he's superhuman or whatever but in a way he's just kind of showing us what we're all capable of.
2: In a way he's just showing off. (laughs) 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 No, but it's completely okay for him to attract people and I think um, he's always trying to emphasize the point that everyone is capable of doing yeah. what he does. Yeah. That's very important, I think. Yeah.
1: I think even if you kind of look at the history of yoga, there's a lot of stories of yogis, you know, in the Himalayas, who could control their body in very extraordinary ways, you know, going back to controlling the heartbeat. You know, in yoga, that's like a standard thing that that's possible to do with the different practices. Yeah. So it's it's like, it's all coming to the fore now mm. in, in, in our culture. Like these you know the knowledge from india yoga breathing it's it's nice to see that people are so much more open to it
2: i think we are living in very interesting times mm-hmm. but if yeah. you take a look at literature like 40 years ago you find find books that state the same thing right, right that we have right now but yeah. maybe we have better methodologies right now to investigate mm-hmm. all this from a scientific point of view i'm not sure that we really get more information that really benefits us I'm quite not sure but maybe we get much more complicated data afterwards which we don't know how to handle you know but I yeah. think
1: the beautiful thing is that the the kind of memes spread more quickly mm-hmm. so yeah. it's like when there is yeah. some some new info or, or even old info it's just kind of we have the ability to tell the stories yeah
2: and, um, we yeah. shouldn't forget the old books yeah. that already have been published.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, going back to yoga, I, I love the yoga knowledge and, you know, some of the things that, that were written, you know, thousands of years ago, science is only today actually catching up to say, oh, yeah, yeah. they were right. <laughs> you know, in the beginning, we didn't really take it seriously, like, oh, what are yeah. these books saying? But now we can see, actually, that there's a lot of knowledge that these cultures had. Right which they seem to have got through their inner experience.
2: Like in the last five years, there's an explosion of investigations in neuroscience about meditation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like 50 years ago, if you would um, make the effort and the approach to investigate meditation scientifically, you would risk your career differently.
1: Yeah. I think this is a bit of a shame in science that there's still some close-mindedness to certain topics. Yeah. Which is very funny, you know, because science is kind of founded on the principle of, you know, being test open. everything and yes. being open. So, but I guess our human nature, we can't escape, you know, that scientists are humans. Yeah. As, well. yeah.
2: as a scientist, you're pretty much attracted to arrogance a little bit, <laughs> but you have to get rid of this, I yeah. think.
1: But it's nice to see, you know, there's more openness. Even, you know, we were talking about ayahuasca, but... Um, Michael Pollan has just released a new book this week called How to Change Your Mind. And he goes into his um, experiments with mushrooms and psilocybin. And he was saying also how, you know, from the time that LSD was created to now, science just stopped researching. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like a taboo subject. If you research this, then your career is over. Yeah. And uh, it's beautiful to see people like Michael Pollan, who have very good credibility, coming out, you know, talking on... Late night shows in the states about you know psilocybin and ego and and, and these kind yeah. of
0: topics. I think the microdosing is getting really really interesting. <laughs> no, it, it's getting more and more attention of. I know Tim Ferris is a big advocate of like the research of microdosing and. I must say, like myself, I haven't like touched any drugs, and I was like excited to see how it can help me in a positive way because I always had this maybe like taboo mindset of like no we shouldn't do this this is bad um I can experience it through breathing and all that kind of stuff so I've always been very much into this like path of maybe resistant resistance and I think once we check into these even microdosing, just tiny controlled amounts of like helping you shift your mindset in a certain way and but I but it kinda of really reminds me of what you just said about the reality and how your reality changed through using ayahuasca and it kinda of reminds me of that reality is only our reality. We can never compare what is real in my eyes it doesn't have to be real for somebody else. So reality is is like this shape shifter that you can like see through different lenses and, and ch- can take different like shapes for any person so we have this reality that we all think is reality but it doesn't have to be the same for everyone and through these experience like ayahuasca you see like yeah there is this different layer of reality that I haven't tapped into until now and when you realize that you yeah can experience different ways of yeah. reality I don't know <laughs> It's very scary obviously to
1: challenge, you know, the things that you believe about yeah. reality and it can take quite some time to kind of really process and make sense of it all and make sense of yourself in a new yeah. world. Um, and I think what's so beautiful about these things becoming more mainstream is that we can do them in a better way. Yeah. Like I think so many people just take mushrooms and take acid and go to a party or a concert and. For me, that's a bit sad because the healing benefit and the spiritual experiences that you can have through these things when done with the right intention and a controlled environment is just so profound. Um, But our culture hasn't really kind of come to that balance yet. It's like, you know, it's, it's kind of ironic that the healing with LSD is illegal, but It's totally fine for like fifteen euros to take acid and go to a party. (laughs) So we're kind of living in a bit of this strange world. But it's very nice to see that, you know, we're moving towards a state of more legalization.
2: And what science can add is like explore the the ways in which taking these things is safe or not. Yeah. I think.
1: Definitely. I mean the, the research with LSD and MDMA. Um, MDMA they use for trauma recovery for people who have come back from war. Or yeah. Like PTSD, they have yeah. amazing effects. Yeah. Um, and same with um, people who have terminal cancer, for example, for pain relief and making peace with the fact that they're going to die. So when you think, you know, there's already science actually yes. showing huge... There was already in the 70s, actually, this, yeah. this studies of us, like, we didn't really want to see it because it was just a bit too of confronting for what we know about reality but i think you know all of these things now coming more into the mainstream and and having different podcast hosts you know talk about their experiences and how positive it's been yeah um i think is you know it's a real cultural zeitgeist at the moment and i think that's why it's very
0: exciting it's funny it it reminds me of when i when i was growing up when i was a teen there was um this program on dutch television which translated would be injecting and taking and in this uh, series they really talked about drugs but some of the sometimes they would take the drugs themselves and then show you what this person was going through and i think for me that was such an educational drugs then I all of a sudden knew okay this is this is this this is this and this almost what became a taboo like this is not really something that you should show on television And now looking back, I was like, no, it taught me a lot how to do it in a safe environment or how to not, when to not, like, interact with these kind of things. So, yeah, I think the the lifting from the taboo is is very, very good. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially when
1: the science is, there's a really interesting book um, called The Ultimate Journey. It's about death and consciousness. Um, And, you know, there's this, kind of thing in science that we don't really know how consciousness is generated and the kind of status quo is that it's produced by the brain, but the latest sort of information that we have is pretty clear that it's not generated by the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway this book talks about um, a lot of science actually that was already done in the sixties and seventies on LSD particularly and how it affected people's consciousness um, and pain to do with terminal illnesses. And yeah I think it's, it's such a shame that those kind of publications and science was just kind of swept aside and not brought in just because there was this contradiction of you know, consciousness being not produced by the brain. I think that was, you know, a thing that science has kind of struggled to get its head around. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think now we're getting more to a place where everyone's just happy to say, like, we don't know. (laughs) That's the reality. But we do have, you know, a number of practices and experiences which can give you a good feeling inside of the answer. We might (laughs) never know really and truly Mm -hmm. how consciousness is generated. but, you know, going back to what you were saying about how every reality is different for each of us. At the same time, there's like this underlying thread, you know, which kind of connects everyone. Yes. Like it, when you have these experiences, like everyone says nature is healing. Yes. Everyone says that love is the highest, you know, it's like these kind yes, of my- mystical truths, which when you have these experiences, whether it's through, you know, psilocybin or breathing or, you know, climbing a mountain even. Um, you you say yes, you know, like uh, this truth I can finally experience it as opposed to it just being something you write on a birthday card or something, you know. You're like yes, this is really real inside of me. I think that's that's very beautiful. Yeah.
0: It's this very nice quote that I really like, and it says uh, life is a shared experience, scattered by individual perspectives. And I think this this kind of some way leads back to this. Yes, it is a shared experience we are all part of something. I think it's nature, we're all part of nature. We can't deny that we're not nature. And for, that's kind of why I see this this going back to nature as well. So many times it pops up. And I remember, I think Joe Rogan was, when he described his experience, I think it was an ayahuasca, I'm not 100% sure, but he said all of a sudden he was, he was, Consciousness, but he was like collective consciousness, and he he said like he described the way he became like the bees' consciousness and felt like not just one singular thing, but for the whole hive and for the whole society there was this overlapping consciousness, and I think this is also something that's very interesting because through a very deep Wim Hof method breathing in. Um, yeah, in one of the weekends at Wim's place, it's true. I had one of these experiences myself. I kind of in my head, I went down from like being me in this this state of mind and state of time. Went back to kind of my birth, but then I was I was really expecting it to stop. There, I was like, oh, okay, went back to my birth, like yada yada yada. But then I went back through time, like all the way through, like different types of animals and different types of creatures and eventually I ended up like feeling like this tiny like lizard back to the bugs back to something very very small and then kind of expanded into this more universal kind of vision like from our lineage of of maybe evolution I kind of went more into the expanding of the universe and I can't even describe how how powerful that is through just breathing. <laughs> now, even me describing it, I feel like, ah, oh, it's going to sound really weird. <laughs> I mean,
1: I totally relate because I've had so many of these experiences through breathing. Um, I had a lot of healing um, through holotropic breathing and going back to the memories of being in my mother's womb. And I had a traumatic birth. I was a caesarean. And going back, and I, I even had a memory of something happening between my mother and my father and me deciding that I didn't want to be born. I said like, oh no, I don't want to to go out there. Um, And in fact, I was a cesarean because I was late. Um, I just didn't want, I didn't come out (laughs) basically. I think a week or 10 days after my due date, you know, the doctors kind of said to my mom like, we need to induce your pregnancy. And even when they gave her the drugs to induce the pregnancy, she just wasn't getting contractions. Mm -hmm. And so eventually they got to the point where there was like, you know, have to be a cesarean so yeah and you know even beyond that it's it's like and Stanislav Grof always says you can have three types of experiences there's the perinatal which is the experiences around your birth and there's um past life also so I'm really taking it another level of of far out now Um, and then also like the collective like the archetypal realm so what Jung kind of Towards the archetype so you can experience yeah, being a bee or being a bird or or the experience of what it feels like to be a mother even if you've never been a mother you can connect with that archetypal kind of collective yeah. um, vibe and so yeah I don't think you're crazy <laughs> our listeners might think we're crazy but <laughs> at least things too right yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely I think if you're a bit curious about life and what it all means then hopefully from this listeners will take like you know, come and breathe and just experience for yourself and yeah. see if this is something that you have the curiosity to kind of go deeper into what you experience in your life. And you know, mm-hmm. some people don't want to, they want to stay where they are, they're perfectly happy. That's totally fine. I think we all three have a bit of a curiosity. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you want to keep on exploring. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And I think there is so much to explore. There's so much potential within us to explore within our physical body and like doing an ice bath and and getting this physical stressor, but also in the mind. There is so much potential in our mind to explore and to, yeah.
2: And I think science always tries to make up the picture that the things we don't know yet are just details. We know the whole picture already and this is, I think, quite an illusion.
1: definitely. I mean, when you have these kind of experiences, you know, how can you explain from, from science, you know, going back and feeling, feeling a lizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think it's one of the beauties of our life, you know, that we don't know everything and there's, there's so many things to explore. Um, I was always a big traveler. I always loved adventuring and traveling and when I came across all of this stuff, I just turned that adventure inside myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. Because we can't always have the money or the time to travel outside. But it's like almost traveling inside is even more profound.
2: Yeah, and I like I like the term psychonaut.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we're really, you know, going into our own minds and there's there's a lot to see in there. Yeah. Some good, some bad, some pleasant, some not, but always interesting, that's for sure. Yeah super yeah I think think, uh, that conversation went in a few unexpected directions (laughs) but beautiful I'm sure there's some inspiration in there Um, we usually close a podcast by asking our guests like if there's one thing that you would want to share to people to inspire them to live a more fulfilled life um, what would that be if there is it could be crystallized even to one thing
2: I think um The one thing that helped me the most is maybe a trait of mine to question and to doubt everything in life. Even the positive things and of course the things that are maybe considered as the thing that are the truth. But I think it's worthwhile to not take nothing for granted in life.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I think for me it would maybe... Uh, It just sounds very, I think it's just to be and explore this being in so many different ways. Because I think when somebody asked me the first experience they had in the call, it was the feeling of just being. That everything else fell away through the breathing, through this, through that. But just for people to find what makes them be, what makes them tick and, and go and explore and do inner or outer or connect Beautiful.
1: Hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Super. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I hope that there was something in there that touched you. And if so, then please, you know, like, share and comment. Help us uh, bring these conversations to other people who might, you know, might trigger a life change for them. Kiki and Matthias are going to be back in Malta around September, October time. We're still finalizing dates for our next workshops. Um, but, you know, keep keep following our page and we'll be sending out all the info about, you know, different events where you can come and experience the Wim Hof method and some other things that we're going to be sharing. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Thanks
2: for
0: having Thanks us. for having us. <laughs> Thank you.